Today's podcast is brought to you by Baxter Blue. Do you experience digital eye strain from too much blue light exposure from digital screens? Baxter Blue glasses are not your average frames. These blue light lenses filter 80% of the highest energy blue light, eliminating 99% of glare. The past year, we have all been glued to our devices more than ever. I mean, I personally bought a... Uh, a case for my cell phone where I can now play old uh, Nintendo games like Mario and Excite Bike uh, on my phone to just add to the constant screens that I already do. It's killing me. But our exposure to digital light has soared and our eyes and our sleep are suffering as a result. Baxter Blue is also a force of good and provides a pair of reading glasses for someone in need for every pair sold this is eyewear built for the digital age and baxter blue is giving my listeners 10 percent off your next purchase of blue light sleep or kids glasses click the link in our show notes for your exclusive discount this is the sign you have been waiting for to invest in blue light glasses we know you will love your baxters and we know that you will feel the difference Hello and welcome to the Nomcast, the Netflix original movie podcast. I am your host, Andrew Morgan. You can follow the show at NomcastPod on Twitter and Instagram, and you can check us out on the web at nomcastpod.com. All right, thanks for tuning in to this bonus episode for the week. Very excited for this one. Writer-director Julio Quintana is on the show today. We discussed his latest feature film, Blue Miracle, which premieres on Netflix today. So you can check that out after you listen to our discussion if you haven't watched it already. Blue Miracle is based on the true story of Papa Omar and his orphanage, Casa Hogar. When the orphanage desperately needs a large sum of money to save their home, Omar and his kids partner up with a washed-up boat captain played by Dennis Quaid for a chance to win a lucrative fishing competition. In today's interview, Julio and I talk about the challenge of doing a more family-friendly film after his much heavier first film, The Vessel. We also discuss what drew Dennis Quaid and other actors to work on this film, and his relationship with legendary director Terrence Malick, whom he worked for on multiple projects, including The Tree of Life. Malick even helped Julio produce his first film, the aforementioned The Vessel. So all this and much more in my conversation with Julio Quintana right now. Thanks for listening. I'm delighted to be joined by writer-director Julio Quintana, whose latest film, Blue Miracle, is premiering this week on Netflix. Congratulations on that, sir, and and thanks for taking the time. Absolutely. No, I'm, I'm excited to talk to you about it. That has to feel good, though, right? Uh, having a film cast out to millions of subscribers all at once. I would be excited. Oh, it's, it's kind of surreal. You know, our first movie, we came out in theaters, and it was we had, but it was like 25, 30 screens or something, and so... So we got the, that feeling of seeing it up on a uh, in a movie theater, but for very very few people to see it. And so right. now suddenly it's just like they just upload it, and it's 
that the entire world has access to it overnight is it's kind of it's it's pretty trippy man i mean they're they're pretty amazing it's a it's a machine now the way they can they can roll this out to the entire world i've never seen anything like it yeah well again congratulations i'm sure it can get overwhelming where maybe y'all get hopefully you get all the praise all at once so i wish you the best of luck yeah uh, with that I enjoyed your film. I, w- I watched it last night. Um, you know, it definitely, it feels like you have, you know, a sense of, you know, I know you have a background in religious studies and, um, you know, obviously I think you're a big fan of using water <laughs> as, as a backdrop between the vessel and Blue Miracle. How did you first hear of this story, though, uh, for Blue Miracle? And what made you want to turn this into a feature film? Well, I, I mean, it's funny. I think the reason... Yeah, the, the water is common on both of them, but I think it's, it's because uh, one of the producers from this film helped me release the vessel. And so then when this came around, he I guess he I was the Spanish-speaking water guy, you know, so he, <laughs> he, 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 he asked me if I'd, I'd be interested. When I first read the, the synopsis of the log line, I was like, that seems like I kind of just dealt with that sort of thing, that world. But then when I actually read it, I said it's a totally different genre, a totally different. They, uh, I, I realized I had the technical skills to pull it off, but it was at least it was something new and different. So, um, but that was how it was originally brought to me. It was uh, the producer who had the rights to that story and, ha- and had a, a draft of a screenplay already written for it, and then they brought it to me, and I, you know, I, I adapted it to my own particular aesthetic and and themes and all that. So, yeah, I was about to say it's very different tone. Uh, than the vessel of course this is more of kind of a it's 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 interesting any story where i'm going to start off with talking about orphans in an orphanage saying it's a more uplifting story than right. maybe the previous one yeah. a more a more family friendly fair which netflix has been doing a great job with so i i know you're in good hands there how how did that work for you mentally to kind of shift from doing something maybe a little more uh heavier in tone uh, with the vessel to now doing Blue Miracle. Well, you know, it's funny because I think I doing the vessel. It was it was a passion project, and I was it was my first movie. And I'm kind of trying to learn. You know, I'm learning as I as I as I did that film, and and I think when I got I got I remember I you know I got to the end of it, and I just felt like I was like, well, you know, why didn't I let them talk more? You know, and it's like yeah, you know, <laughs> I, 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 like in real life, I joke around. Why didn't I make them? Why can't I make this more entertaining than than that? You know, so. Uh, and so I, I actually had said I had already gone before this movie was brought to me. I had already gone down a path of starting to explore ways to make you know the themes that I wanted to explore make them more commercial and accessible um, and entertaining. Trying to focus, and it was kind of a way. I think when they brought it to me, they they were thinking this sort of Mighty Ducks or Bad News Bears and that sort of thing. And I don't it's the movies that I I I mean I watched Mighty Ducks when I was a kid, but I don't I don't watch the the Blind Side or that sort of thing really. That's not, sure. Uh, and so I kind of took it as a challenge to try to figure out how to do that genre uh, in a way that I would I would potentially watch and, and enjoy. And so that was a so it was a, it was a good experience. I think I think I've I've been walking down. You know, I, I did the real art house uh, one, and then I did, now I'm did the real commercial uh, one. And, and so and now I'm, I'm I'm interested. I'm looking to see what I do next to see how it's a sort of blend of the two or what. I'm not sure yet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it is. It's a very accessible film, but still has a lot of, uh, it seems like the hallmarks of things uh, in your background and stuff that you you seem to be bringing to the big screen with kind of like, I think I it was even noted on your website, kind of like saying like magic realism mm. and kind of diving into 
you know, something bigger than all of us at work versus, you know, something that's a more, more straight up story. It's funny. I, I almost, because you, you mentioned some of those uh, kind of like family films that revolve around sports a little bit. I kind of thought about like angels in the outfield more mm. because at least that yeah, does right. get kind of mis- <laughs> mystical in a way while, while yeah. trying to pull off a, a larger feat. So uh, that I found kind of like an interesting parallel. Yeah. Um, your uh, your co-writer uh, Chris Dowling uh, is a creator that definitely works on a lot of projects that have these kind of inspirational and uplifting side to them. Um, especially his work with Asperger's R Us. How did that collaboration really kind of come ar- around? Because yeah, was he the the producer you mentioned, or like was uh, no? He was know, a writer. How, how was it? Uh, Javier Chapa was the producer, and Javier Chapa and Darren Mormon were the producers who brought the project to me, and they had. I believe commissioned the script for Chris Dowling to write. And Chris is also in the middle of directing his own films. And I think he had just had, he just, when I, the script was brought to me, he had just had a, he had a movie in theaters and he was about to direct a different movie. So, um, so he, he wrote the, the script and then I had a conversation or two with him about it. And then it ultimately, like, I, I really need to wrestle with the material for me to wrap my own mind around it. And, and there are particular themes that I really wanted to explore that I felt like, uh, you know, the stuff about fatherhood and, and things like that, that um, I felt like I just needed to get in there and type and mess with it myself for me to figure out what's, what's actually going on. And and, and so, you know, I, that's kind of how I approach. I, I think if there's any if there's anything in common between the vessel and and Blue Miracle is that I take as a question, a real life question and that I'm kind of not sure about and then I give my characters, I give characters a kind of the opposing arguments about these things, about the issue. And I let them kind of hash it out and see where, and, and I, I end up learning something about myself over the course of making the film. And so and to the degree that anything, there are any, any, you know, uh, ideas in there that resonate with people, you know, Captain Wade talking about his son, hopefully his son will think he, he's somebody because he has his trophies or whatever. That's the only, it, it, to the degree that that stuff resonates with people. I think it's because I, it, it's a struggle I deal with daily of how much time do I put into my career at the expense of being with my children? And if I have to go away for two months to do a movie, I mean, they came with me when I did this film. So I was actually, even as I was shooting this movie, I have three kids under five. My wife and I both worked on the movie and we we're juggling the movie and the kids at the same time. And so, so we're living out these, uh, these challenges as we're doing it. And so, so for me, it was the rewrite process was less about not is less about not liking this, the original screenplay, more about me being able to explore personal themes that I wanted to to explore and and then figure out the best way to portray them on screen. Well, I I absolutely can echo those sentiments. The difficulties of life balance. I I have two children under six myself, so yeah, um, it, it gets very difficult even to do a a nice interview with you right now. Yeah. You know, it, it can even be a juggle. So I can imagine uh, a multi month project. Uh, being something uh, larger and much harder to do. So congratulations for getting through that and and keep moving on. I mean, it's got to be nice that uh, you work in tandem with your wife uh, being a a producer and partner. How how does that relationship work? Is it, is it kind of nice? Like in a, like in a Jim Gaffigan way where like he takes his wife and kids on the road with him and does this whole thing. Or is it, is it get more complicated when you have to be director hat? Well, we've done now. We've done two films together, and they were completely different situations. So the first one was something I created from scratch. The vessel was something I created from scratch, 
and then she produced she was the sole producer and we, we went and we didn't have any kids so we were able to run around you know the neighborhoods of, of puerto rico at two in the morning if we needed to doing whatever we had to do right this was something that was brought to us by other producers so she ended up being the line producer and i ended up it was a, did a rewrite and then we had by the time we did we had three children and our youngest our youngest daughter was only three months old when we went to go do it and so she was juggling an infant uh while we're in production and so it was it was pretty difficult (laughs) it was pretty hard (laughs) and it doesn't the kids don't care how tired you are at the end of a shoot day or on on your day off uh they they want to hang out with you they want to jump on your back and they want to do all those things so um so my the having my wife be the producer i think has helped me in the sense that i i'm very aware of what uh, the way producers approach uh, what the needs are and the, the restrictions that they're dealing with. So whenever they, you know, she, she, whenever she tells me we can't afford something, I know she, why she's saying that. And whenever I tell her I have to have something, she knows that I mean it. And it's, I, I'm not just asking for vain, vain reasons or anything. So I think it's, it's helped me become a very practical filmmaker uh, and production friendly filmmaker, just seeing behind the scenes, how the budgeting process works and the money flow and everything. So uh, it's been, it's been nothing but good for me. One thing I, I was curious about, because I know I always hear about these uh, troubled shoots with uh, trying to uh, film on the water and do, uh, you know, obviously Jaws being the first and foremost, but uh, like uh, there are many, many. Um, uh, but in, in this particular case, how are you able to capture a lot of the, the boat interactions? Is that soundstage work or is that something you actually had to shoot on the water in location? So the first thing we shot up for the film were, were aerial drone. It was aerial drone footage of the real tournament in Cabo San Lucas. So that's how we were able to get the huge production value of the hundreds of boats taking off and all the boats in the marina and all that stuff. Uh, and then we took that footage and we went to the Dominican Republic to shoot the rest of the movie. And there is a water tank uh, that is uh, Atlantica soundstage. So it's essentially it's an outdoor infinity pool, like the size of uh, half the size of a football field, maybe. And so you're looking when you look out towards the horizon, it sort of blends in with the the ocean in the background. And so we were we it was essentially we were shooting outside, but it's completely controlled where the boats anchored down, and we can we, there's a wave machine to create the movement that we needed. And the downside is that you you can only look one direction because if you go left, you see a parking lot. If you go right, you see trees or whatever. So so the way so anytime I want to change an angle, I essentially had to just rotate the boat. I mean, you probably notice that. The vessel is much more freeform and the camera more roaming and looking 180 degrees all the time. Whereas this, I, the nature of that tank made it so that I kind of had to have a more uh, lockdown approach of, okay, it's just now like he talks and then no flip. Now the he talks, now he talks. So it was more edity than, um, uh, and maybe a little more traditional coverage than, than I'm used to. But, uh, but the trade-off is nobody's puking and, <laughs> uh, you know, we can put up bounce boards and things like that. So it, it, and with kids, you can't really, you can't just take them out in the middle of the ocean. We did it for one half a day. We took them out and they started getting sick and camera operators started puking. And, you know, it was just, it's a, it, it, so, so ultimately that tank was a lifesaver. Yeah. And, and speaking of kids, I thought you very much lucked out with uh, a handful of very good young actors. And, you know, that's something that not a lot of people can pull off, whether that's something you pull out of them or, or, how they come fully formed uh, when you are doing the casting process. Um, how, how did you find these guys? I mean, like everyone in the orphanage and especially the crew on the boat was very impressive. 
Yeah, well, we had um, we had Carla Hula, who's a great casting director. She found us the kids. Uh, M- M- uh, the, the the exception being Miguel, I mean, uh, who played Mokul, the older the oldest guy. He actually he found uh, he had a, he found out that we were casting for that film, and he reached out to a random person he knew that went to UT with me, and that and sent them my real his reel, and then that guy forwarded it to me. And so by chance, he, he, he tracked me down and we, we, he was amazing. The rest of them, uh, they were all pretty experienced actors, frankly. Uh, Anthony Gonzalez, uh, who played Gecko, was the voice of uh, Miguel and Coco, the, the lead. Uh, oh. Nathan, uh, Nathan was like the star of some Disney show I've never seen, but my, uh, my, uh, our nanny loved, our 25-year-old nanny thinks that was really excited to meet him. Uh, and, uh, <laughs> And so um, all of them kind of had uh, decent experience, but the trick was, you know, just casting people that kind of have that, that, that nature already. So all these kids were like, they're just kind of fun, optimistic guys. And you, we put them in a room and we let them, I, most of the time we, we, were, we had probably a week and a half of rehearsal time. And we did a read through of the script just to make sure everybody understands what it's about. But most of the time I just wanted them to go to the beach, hang out, uh, get to know each other, maybe get into some trouble. And, and, and then, so by the time you got on, on the set, like they were friends, like those guys are all, all buddies who still keep in touch. So it was, it was pretty cool. Yeah. No, it's a great way to, to utilize the time. I mean, especially cause I know, uh, with shooting with, uh, these schedules can get very compact. So it's a good use of kind of building chemistry. So that's, that's an amazing job on, on your part. Um, I'd be remiss. I know you have a very, uh, unique background, of coming up uh, in your film background, coming up through working with Terrence Malick, who's a, a legend to a, a, a lot of people in the film industry. You know, I, I noticed some commonalities with uh, you're both having kind of backgrounds in philosophy and theology and and both spend time in Austin, too, uh, weirdly right. enough. You know, you must have felt like a kindred spirit. How would you characterize that relationship? And what did you learn from him on and off set? Well, I mean, I think, you know, the... the Terry makes he he just thinks so differently about the the entire approach uh, than than anybody does and and so you know he had a big influence on me on I was already I was already looking to try to make things that had some sort of deeper significance and explore deeper themes uh, but you know entering under him uh, and being that being allowed to to just observe that world of tree of life and. Uh, that just completely opened up the entire paradigm of what you, you're able to explore in, in a movie. And, and, and stylistically it was just, it completely blew my mind. So I think he definitely, he definitely influenced, he definitely influenced cinematography. Like my, my, uh, he and Chiva Lubezki, Lubezki, the just three-time Academy Award winner uh, in cinematography. He, those, those, the style of those two guys kind of helped pioneer over the last decade was a huge inspiration to me and to my cinematographer as well, Chago Benet. Uh, so you can see those those influences are pretty pretty obvious in the vessel. Um, but then as I, but the reality is once we started to move, when I started moving into scripts that have more structure and plot, uh, that free flowing, just chasing the light kind of approach doesn't really work when you're on a water tank with a bunch of kids who have to go to school in an hour and whatever. Uh, and so I think the, the spirit, the spirit of trying to, I mean, he's also, he's also made, I mean, I think this is not something to talk about that much, but he also, he looks for kind of uh, inspiring undertones in, in pretty much any situation. And he's kind of, and he, he, you know, you learn how to, 
linger on a, a flower or a wave or anything a little bit, just a little bit longer. And it just, it evokes a sense that there's something more going on here than meets the eye. And so that's, right. that sort of training was immensely helpful. And it, it's not something I could utilize as much in this, in this genre. I tried uh, and you can see it in the dream sequences and things like that. But, but at the end of the day, this was, a, this was really, uh, this movie was really more trying to see it's, you know, try to build up the, the fun and, and entertaining muscles uh, and see how that worked out. And it, people seem, people seem to like it. I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. Uh, and, and of course, this is a, a true story that this story is based on. How much did you know about that story beforehand or how much did you learn in the, say, the research process or or did you speak a lot to the people who actually went through it all before you made the film? Yeah, I didn't know anything about the story until it was brought to me. It, it was. Uh, but so then whenever that I, I so that I first I was sent the article and then I, was, I read the script that, that was based on the article and then. Um, I, Chris, Chris Dowling had done, uh, some, a lot of research and I had talked to Omar, the real Omar. And so then I, whenever I decided to kind of jump back into the material, I also went down to Cabo with my wife uh, and my brother and I met Omar and interviewed him for, you know, and got all the backstory on what happened. And, uh, and, and it was, it was pretty, it was fairly accurate. I mean, what, the, what actually, the, all the, all the mechanics of the storm hit them and, they didn't know what they were going to do and they didn't have donors and they were going to run out of food. Um, and the storm, the storm did make the business open up the, the rules so that they could participate and other, other locals could participate. Uh, and so all the mechanics of what, of that situation were, were just true to his life. You know, his back, his background, uh, his, his kind of sketchier background with, uh, drug dealing and things like that. Like he, he, he really, uh, that stuff is all, that's what he told us. And, and so it's, it's it's true to life now. Yeah. I know. I listened to an article when you were doing the vessel about uh, how Martin Sheen, because he was already kind of uh, you know a more de uh, devout Catholic, excuse me, um, and also you know kind of a more spiritual guy who was maybe looking to play in a role kind of similar to what he was doing. Is there any version of that for Dennis Quaid or the guy? Uh, you know, anyone uh, like in the more lead cast that? kind of maybe pick this film to identify with kind of some of the overarching themes? Well, I, I, Dennis specifically told me that he, he tends to gravitate towards kind of inspiring, uplifting stories. That seems to be uh, something that he feels is worth his time and a useful contribution. Um, Jimmy Gonzalez, the lead actor, I actually met him. I had someone else cast as Omar uh, and then a schedule conflict came up with that person, but I, but I, I, I initially met with Jimmy Gonzalez to play Hector, the guy, the friend who shows up, the drug dealing friend who shows up, and I and then I, you know, I said, Marla and I went and had drinks with him and dinner with him, and it was just like this guy feels like Omar, you know, and he he uh, he actually Jimmy uh, ha has a lot of similar background to some of these kids. I mean, he, he come he come he's had some, you know, he, he's had issues with the being on the street and dealing with that kind of life and things like that. And so he, you can just see it in his face and his the hands, the scars on his arms. You can, you can just, you can feel that he, he, he looks like that world. And, and, and so these stories, you know, really resonated with him. I mean, I remember going to the script with him and uh, you know, there's a scene where Omar is talking to Moko and Moko says uh, he doesn't really know if he's ever fished before. He can't really remember. And, and Omar says, well, that's normal. You know, we never had, most people remember things through through photos or stories their family members tell them, but we never had that. And 
I just made that up. I assumed because I know my kids remember things. I know my kids remember things from me showing the videos on my on the phone, and they they sure. they piece it back together, and then they say they remember, but I don't think they do. So I just made that up, uh, and he read it, and he couldn't believe that I had made that up because that's how he feels. That's he's like that's absolutely true. Like that's what happens is if you don't have photos or whatever, you just can't remember that stuff. You know, so um, so yeah. he was he was really helpful for helping anchor it for me and, and giving me a sense of realism. Uh, it's amazing. It's a it's a great story. One last thing before I let you go. This is a very compelling story with a, a positive message that many families uh, can you know, now watch on Netflix uh, this week and their millions of subscribers. Uh, what do you want people to you know see in your film? What do you want them to take away uh, after they watch a film like this? You know, it's, it's difficult. I, I think a lot of movies in this genre are trying to be kind of message heavy and, and trying to impart some sort of, uh, some sort of lesson. I think, you know, for me, it's like I said, I, I, I ex- just sort of explore ideas and, and whatever people take from it is, is up to them. But I, I, uh, I think that one thing I did, I have learned is that the people that I, especially after such a hard year, everybody's just been like bombarded with bad news and they, it's just, uh, it's, there seems to be a real hunger for something that's, not falsely optimistic. Like it's, it, it's a true story of something actually good that happened in the world. And, and I think there seems to be a, a real desire for that sort of, uh, that sort of thing right now. And so I'm just, I think I'm just happy to be able to present something that makes people, you know, anybody, we're all struggling in our own different ways and everybody's had rough patches uh, over the last several months, but uh, to see somebody who, who's really in dire straits like Omar and these boys and, and something good still happens to them and they can still find a way to, to be optimistic. And, and uh, I think kind of provide some perspective on how things could be worse and, and, and uh, ultimately hopefully, you know, good things will, will happen to all of us. Well, I appreciate that sentiment. I think a lot of people will, and I, I think you're right. A lot of people will react to this, you know, after we've gone through such a hard time with a more, optimistic and uplifting story like this i don't don't see how that that can't miss right now so i appreciate you taking the time julio and i wish you the best of luck uh upon the release of the film thanks so much andrew i really appreciate you doing this